Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. If you're a guest with us, my name is Blake, and it's a privilege to worship with you, privilege to gather with you, and we're on mission to make Jesus' name known in Southwest Florida. And that's what we're all about here at Faith, so welcome. This morning, we're going to be diving into a, a passage, and it's a miracle, but if I had to rate it on the miracle scale, it would actually probably be one of the lowest. Like, and I don't know if you maybe ever, like, if you've seen a miracle or if you've heard of a miracle and you would think, really? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm grateful just to see a miracle or just to, hey, I, to question a miracle uh, is pretty phenomenal. I'd be like, God, just show up and do your amazing work, right? Like, I think we would be like, woo, like miracle of any scale. But today we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, where we come into this miracle and we see that it's really like, really, God? Like, that's in the Bible? But there's a reason it's in the Bible. So I want to invite you to join me, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. Not too many commentators comment on it. Not too many commentators write about it. But we know it's significant and there's a reason it's significant. So verse 1, one day the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. And then one of them says, please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them, and when they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried, it is a borrowed axe. You ever messed up somebody's thing you borrowed, right? Like, come on, all of us have. And verse 6 is, where did it fall, the man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick and threw it in the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. Let's pray over this morning's reading of God's word. If you'll bow your heads with me. God, we give you this time. We say thank you for leading us, guiding us, and being with us every step of the way. Lord, may we take your word, apply it to our life, and may we live forever changed. In your great and holy name, we all say, amen, amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about three lessons we learned from this story when it comes to uh, a miracle in life. Big God, small problems. Anybody have some big problems in life, right? Anybody have any some small problems in life, right? We've all had problems. So I want to talk to you about three lessons we learned by looking at this story. The first one is simply this. There's benefit to hanging out with faith-filled people. There's benefit to hanging out with faith-filled people. Uh, have, you, have you ever heard the saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future? right? Like any mom ever dropped that line, right? Like any dad ever say like, I wish I would have listened to mom growing up. There's moments where we surround ourselves by default people in our lives. Like, hey, they got the same interest. They like to golf. They like to hunt. They like to fish. 
they like to go watch the same movies. And, and by natural just attraction point in states, we say, hey, they're going to be some of my friends. And really, we, we forget one of the biggest traits, one of the, the biggest qualities that we need to have in people around us, and that's people who are faith-filled. You need people that can lift you up. You need people that can make you better. You need people that can say, hey, I can encourage you in a hard time. I can challenge you when you need challenge. Hey, if you're going through an obstacle in life, I can pray for you. Some of us, we have some, some road already ran in our life's race. And you're probably looking back and like, I wish I had more people of faith around me than I did with some of my friends that I hung out with. Some of us, you're starting out and, and you're looking at life and, and you're looking at the days ahead and you're, you're scratching your head and you're like, right now, if I looked at my friends or those closest to me, I don't know if I really have too many faith-filled people around me. Here, to, to, to handle problems, to navigate life, you need people around you that are faith-filled. You need people around you that can encourage you. You need people around you that can help you lean into who God wants you to be. Look in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 3, these prophets, they come to Elisha, this man of God. If you don't know who Elisha is, Elisha is this prophet in the Old Testament you find, who had a double portion of God's Spirit poured out on his life. He lived a radical life. I mean, he saw the miracles of God. And this is what they say, please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. I said, hey, there's a man that has God's spirit moving in his life. We need you a part of our life. We need you a part of our circumstance. We need you a part of this building that, that's going to take place. You need people who are faith-filled in life. Um, I encourage um, every parent in this place, be watching who your kids are hanging out with. Don't be passive with who your children are, are becoming friends with. My, my kids, uh, we're very protecting as parents. Uh, we believe that they need the right influences in their life. We believe they need the right friends in life. I will talk to the teachers. I will talk to the coaches. I will talk to anybody else I got to talk to to be like, hey, if my kid doesn't need to be sitting next to this kid, then please put him across the room. I don't care if my kid gets mad, gets frustrated, but I want there to be good influence in his life. And if he needs to be isolated to handle some of that influence, hey, by all means, you need to isolate my kid. There's moments when my kid's been outside playing and, and he's played with some particular uh, kids in the neighborhood and they've, they've used some language where he comes back home and, and he says a word or two and I'm like, boy, you wouldn't be kissing your mama with that kind of mouth. He's like, I'm like, where'd you hear that word? He's like, them down the street. I said, all right, this is our new rule. You can play on my driveway and that's as far as you're going to go with those particular kids. Like, I want to challenge you tonight, if you have a student, we have an amazing Wednesday night family gathering service. It's our midweek prayer service. It's the backbone of what we do, why we do it here. And if you have a student, I would encourage you, come out, be a part of our youth ministry. Pastor Chris leads in a phenomenal youth ministry, gathers right up here to my left, you're right, in the youth room. But you need to facilitate and foster, hey, are my kids getting plugged in with other like-minded, faith-filled people? I think so many times, parents, we get passive. We don't want to offend. We don't, we don't want to, you know, push the envelope. We don't want to ostracize our children. And we, and we kind of look in this area. But then what happens is it gets going a little quick in life. And before you know it, the influences on your children's life becomes impactful and you miss some things. And your kid starts behaving a certain way, has some things rooted in their life. And you're like, oh, man, I don't know. 
Some of the worst decisions we make are not being intentional about who we're putting around in our life. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, walk with the wise, become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Now, I didn't say if you associate with fools, you are a fool. But if you look back into your life, look at some of the times you got in a little bit of trouble. Who are you hanging out with? If you look at life and you're saying, hey, here's some, some, some situations, who are you surrounding yourselves with? Like maybe you're a, a, a guy in the room and it's like, hey, you work all day, then you go out for happy hour and you, and you grab the beers with the bubba's and you're like hanging out and then before you know you're having problems at home and you're like, I don't know why I'm having problems at home. I could tell you it's that stop at happy hour hanging out with the bubba's you shouldn't be hanging out with. Faith-filled people, you need more people closer to you who are faith-filled, God-fearing in your life than you need more people who are not. And I think so many times we look past that. So many times we miss that. So I want to encourage you. Who are you evaluating in your inner circle? If it's parents, don't be passive when it comes to your child's friends. If, it's, if you're living in, in life and you're, you're doing things, I want to encourage you, get connected with the church. We have faith groups. Faith groups happen on a trimester basis. I want to say next sign-up's coming up in January. Who are you surrounding yourselves with that can help you through life? Faith groups. We have culture course taking place today. I would encourage you, get involved in culture course. Culture course is the first step process. If you're new to church, figuring this whole thing out, you're realizing that who you're hanging out with is getting results you're not really interested in, and you're understanding and you're seeing that their influence is going crazy in life, in your life. I would say come to culture course to figure out how you can take that next step God wants you to take. Maybe you're going through life and you're not serving and you're not a part. You just saw a, an announcement about Convoy of Hope happening November 18th. That's happening down, downtown Fort Myers. I would encourage you, be a part of that. Go make a difference. Serve with somebody that's in the like-mindedness, where you want to go, where you want to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul puts it simply this way. In, in verse 33, when he's talking to a, another church, he says, don't be fooled by those who say such things. Like there's people that are going to point you a certain way that might seem good, but it's not necessarily good. He says, bad company corrupts good character. I want to encourage you, get involved. I want to encourage you, surround people in your life who are faith-filled. The closest individuals in your life, and I say it time and time again, are people who love Jesus the way you love Jesus. You need more of those people influencing your life than you need people who don't know Jesus influencing your life. And I do want to pause here because I think sometimes uh, there's a little bit of, uh, we overlook some things. We overlook past things. Just because someone is family and we hear the saying, blood is thicker than water, right? Doesn't mean they're the best influence in your life. And I think sometimes we overlook that. We let a lot of tolerance happen in our life. Well, hey, you know, that's just, that's my family. Pastor Blake, that's my family. I'm like, yeah, your family doesn't need to have all that influence in your immediate family who God's called you to raise in your life. Like, you got to be, be very intentional because so many times when you look in these prophets and they're wanting to see this God who does big, miraculous things, they're saying, hey, we need a faith-filled person with us. We need a faith-filled person who can bring his presence, who can bring the encouragement, who can bring what God is going to or, uh, organically do with the community. We need to bring him. So some of us, 
need to understand, need to look at this idea of we need to hang out with faith-filled people. Another lesson is simply this. God cares about all of our problems. God cares about all of our problems. Um, you look back in chapter 4, chapter 5, and then now in chapter 6 that we're in in 2 Kings, we see what I call the three big Ds of problems. We see death, we see debt, and we also see disease. So in chapter 4, we see this, this lady, she's in massive amount of debt. Anybody ever have some financial problems in this place? You ever have some, some hang-ups where you're like, man, I, I really messed up my bills there? This lady, she's in massive amount of debt and to the point that if she doesn't pay her debt, the creditors come calling that they are going to repossess, repossess her children. Like some of us are like, amen to that, you know? Like, <laughs> other of us are like, oh, no, I love my kids, right? We, we all love our kids, but there's moments where we want someone to come in. But, but then we see this, she's in this debt, and so she comes to Elisha, and, and Elisha's like, hey, do this. Here's the oil. Have your son keep bringing you jars, and, and we'll fill it up, and then you can pay off your debt, and then your son can live on. So massive amount of debt, huge major problems. And then we see this next story that happens, this Shumanite lady who loses her son in the field. This is a miraculous son that she has. Wasn't supposed to. She was barren. Her husband was old. He goes and he dies out in the field, her son. She's sad. She's mourning. It was like this miracle is taking place. But God, if this miracle is taking place, why would you take that miracle from her? And then she goes and she lays him in this room and, and then Elisha comes back praise, lays his body over this, this son who's, who's dead and, and is brought back to life, death. Anybody have a problem, some hurt by someone you've lost in life? Some hang-ups that you're wrestling with because you feel like there's been grief there and you don't know how to process that grief? You've gone through some things and you're just like, God, like, why would you take them? Major problem. I think each and every one of us have been impacted by someone we've lost. So we're like, God, I feel like that was too quick, God. You called their number too quick. And you're processing a lot of questions. There's been moments like that, right? So we see dead. We see death. And we see the other big problem, this man by the name of Naaman in chapter 5. If you, if you know Naaman, he's a general and he's in this army and, 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 and he has status and he has political stature. And then what happens is, but he has this flesh-eating disease known as leprosy. So major problems to the point where if, if he was around people, they would actually put him on the outside of town because no one wants that kind of disease. Anybody ever been impacted by some kind of disease in life? Maybe you know a loved one who's caught cancer. Who's, who, who, who's going through that process and you're like, man, God, we don't know what to do. Why is this disease happening? So we see these huge problems happening. And then we come to the story of this axe head falls in a river. Like big issues. But you know, if we lost an axe head, if we broke a tool, some of us, if we borrowed it from a friend, we would just say, hey, you know what? It is what it is. Thanks for letting me borrow the tool. Some of us would be like, I'll just run to Ace Hardware, the, the Home Depot, and say, hey, I, I had to replace your tool. Wouldn't have been that big of an issue. 
It wouldn't have been that challenging. I mean, in, in verse 5 of 2 Kings, it says this, but as they were cutting the tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried. It was a borrowed axe. I think there's times where we kind of miss the sequence in which God works, but it's significant in this point that there's major problems in life, and then there's really small problems that we face in life, and God cares about all of the problems in our life. There's this term that we use describing the theology of God is that God is omnipotent or omnipotent, whichever way you like to pronounce it. It means there is no limits to his power. So that means this, a big problem to God is the same as a small problem to God. He doesn't run out of energy. He doesn't run out of blessing. doesn't run out of, hey, I'm going to provide a miracle. doesn't say, hey, I have to work hard on the front end because I can't handle some of these small problems. And I think a lot of times in our minds, we're like, hey, I don't really want to pray to God or give God this problem because, well, I need to save that and reserve those kind of chips for God when a big problem does come along. See, I I guarantee God cares more about the details in our life than we even care about the details in our life. So that means if you've got a small problem, be praying about it. You've got a big problem, be praying about it. God cares about all our problems. Big God, small problems to Him. There's no kind of measuring tool when it comes to problems. There's this moment my wife and I were traveling and uh, I, I did one of these uh, blunders, and, and I usually put my wallet right in the middle of this backpack pocket that I have. And I show up, I go to check in. Of course, you have to have your ID. And I pull out my, I have my wallet, and, I, and I'm looking for my ID. My ID's not in my wallet. I'm like, do what every great husband does first. I'm like, <laughs> I'm panicking. And then I look at my wife. I said, where'd you put my ID? You know, like... <laughs> And she's like, Blake, I didn't touch your ID. Like, and I'm like, you know, just like I'm in this panic mode. The, the heart's racing. We're about to miss our flight. We're running late. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, you're going to have to go. And like, if I make it back, she's like, well, you can rent a car. I'm like, Brittany, you got to have an ID to rent a car. Like, I'm walking back. And so we're away and we're traveling and, and I'm trying to figure this out. And I'm here at the ticket counter and I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, like, we have to get back. Like, we have a big event this following day. If we don't get back, we are stuck. We're in trouble. We're trying to come up with a plan. I'm just like, all right, God, I'm going to pray. So I'm one of those guys who you're like in, in the airport. They're like, they're going through their suitcase. I'm looking through my suitcase. I mean, I'm like bringing out, you know, the, the whitey tidies, And I'm like trying to figure all this out. I'm like, I'm having embarrassment mode. I'm scanning this whole thing. And I'm like, all right, I'll look in this one final pocket. Like, maybe it's here. And, and I'm like, I think it's in this short pocket. And, and, and I pull it out. And I pull out my ID. And I'm like, yes. Found my ID. Have you ever had one of those moments? You can't find your wallet at home? Maybe a missing piece of jewelry? Something along those lines where it's like, hey, it's a small problem. But, you know, I'm, it's not warranting of God's time. Well, Psalms 37 23 says this, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Every detail of their lives. That means God cares about those little frustrations at work. 
God cares about what you're, you're facing with and, and your family. God cares about that little disgruntled time you have with your spouse. God cares about how you react when your kid does something wrong and, and you're frustrated and you say a couple things or you're like, God, I, like, please help me with this. God cares about every little thing of your life. God doesn't just run out of time and power and say, you know what, like, I'm tired. Oh, God's power is, is limitless. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, we see where Jesus says, what is a price of sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very heads, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Like God cares. All your problems. Some of you walked into this church and you're like, I don't know if I belong in church. You question church. You're going through some things in life that make you even question God, God's existence, what's taking place. The God we serve cares about all of your problems. Jesus dies, to the cro- dies on the cross for all of our problems. Jesus makes us right with, he makes all of our problems right with God. We're grateful for that. Some of us need to hear that. It's not just the big problems that matter. It's even the smallest problems that matter. The third lesson we learned from our story here with the axe head is, is simply this. Preparing for a miracle is part of receiving a miracle. Preparing for a miracle is part of receiving a miracle. There's been times when we just need to learn to prepare and put ourselves in a situation to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to call on you. God, I, I need to lean into who you are. And 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 6 says, Where did it fall, Elisha asked, the man of God. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick. I want you to highlight that if you're taking notes. Circle it, taking take notes. Essentially, what many theologians believe is he cut this stick that was in shape for the axe head that was sunk, the piece of iron or metal that was sunk to the bottom of the, the river, the small river. It's not a mighty Caloosahatchee kind of river. It's, it's a small, like, uh, uh, bigger than maybe an average creek. It's, it's nothing to really, like, stare at, to be mesmerized at. But there is this, he cuts a stick and he throws it into the place. So he shapes it, preparing for God to do only what God could do. So Elisha cut a stick and he threw it in the water at the spot and the axe head floated up to the surface. Theologians believe they grafted itself there. It wasn't like they picked up both and then put it together and had to fix it, but that it was already made completed. Elisha says, grab it. And the man reached out and he grabbed it. Back to work they go. I want us to capture this. You know what faith is really spelled like? Risk. Faith and risk. R-I-S-K. Like, it, it wasn't that God was taking the risk. It was Elisha, this faith-filled man, preparing and him taking the risk. So many times we want to have faith, but we're not, really, we're not willing to risk it. So many times we want God to do something on our behalf, but we're not preparing 
for it. People want to see a miracle, but they're not willing to risk being in a position to receive the miracle. So the question comes like, hey, do I trust God enough to do what only God can do? Do I trust God enough to say, hey, God, I'm going to step out in this faith and I'm going to expect you to do what only you can do? We have it kind of flipped. God, I want to see you do something great and then I will take the step. Hey, God, raise the axe head, make it all bounded and put together, and then I will get back to work. You've got to be asking yourself, hey, am I willing to prepare myself for the miracle God that wants to do in my life? I remember there's, there's couples I've in, in, encountered and, and got to know. They're having uh, uh, trouble, years of trouble and, and couldn't conceive. And, and you see the weight they were carrying. And one night they go to a prayer service and they're told, hey, we need to prepare the nursery for they're going to have children. They go home, prepare the nursery. I'm, they're telling me this story is radical, mind-blowing, and they're telling me this story. And then sure enough, 18 months later, they're born, they have twins. Years couldn't conceive. God did the miraculous told to prepare something happened I met missionaries who've who've been hey we're called to go and uh, we're called to to reach this people group they show up they have nothing they just know they're supposed to go they catch a flight they end up spending dropping out of college end up spending a whole month to uh, just living in the slums in Africa and they're, as they're living in the slums, they're saying, God, just what do you need to do? They're selling all their stuff. And they come back with this burden and this vision to reach the people of Africa. And so they come back and they live in their car and they drop out of school. And they're going from any church that will hear them impassioned and bold and to say, I need to go and share Jesus over there. I'm called to do that. And so as they're doing this, they're going, they're speaking in any church that will hear them. They're preparing their hearts. Now it's a multi-million nonprofit entity. They've planted soccer complexes. They've dug wells. They've built farms. But it all started with, hey, we're preparing for what God's going to do. We're going to show up to the land God's called us despite having all the answers figured out. I remember even personally moving out here. Many of you know our story and you've heard our story many times, but I, I tell it because it's a part of who we are, my wife and I. Like when we came out to Southwest Florida, we saw a pod driving down the street to this, this week. And all we, every time we see a pod, it's a, it's a marker of faith in our life. Where we didn't know what God was going to do, but he called us to Southwest Florida. We put all we could in one pod, and we said, we'll sell the rest, give the rest away. In every step where we're saying, God, we are preparing ourselves for what you can do in our life. If it's a problem, God, you see it. God, if it's a call, God, you're going to help us get there. God, if it's something taking place at work, in my neighborhood, in my community, God, you are, going to you are going to perform and do what you can do. Lord, just help me prepare for the miracle. So many times we want to see the miracle, but we don't want to prepare for the miracle. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 7 says this. Paul puts this. For we live by believing, not by what? Seeing. Oftentimes we want to see before we believe. 
God's saying, whoa, if you're my follower, you're going to believe before you see. You're going to believe before you see. Hebrews, the writer, chapter 11, verse 6, says this, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely, I love that word, underline that if you're following with us today, rewards those who sincerely seek him. And that's encouragement. My God, if I seek you, I'm going to be rewarded. I'm not a prosperity preacher by any means, but I do take encouragement when it says God's going to reward me in every day of my life. If, if I seek him, he's going to reward. So we're going to close this morning. And we're going to do something that's going to challenge you, but we're going to prepare ourselves, prepare this place to receive a miracle. Maybe you're going through something personally in life. Maybe there's something taking place, and I, I don't know what it might be. But many of us in here, you're, you're staring at life, you're looking at life, you're observing your life, and you need a miracle in your life. You need God to do something that's beyond what you can even see on the horizon right now. You're needing God to show up in a massive way. You're needing God to resolve an issue. You're needing God to maybe pro provide some financial stability. You're maybe needing God to, to, to give you a job, give you an opportunity. You're needing God to give you a healing, to give you a touch. You're needing God to help you in your marriage because you've come in this place right now and you're saying, Pastor Blake, I don't know if my marriage is gonna make it. Like you're needing God to do something only what God can do. And it starts when we start preparing our place, our hearts, our lives. Elisha, he prepared, he trusted God. He threw the stick and says, God, you do your thing. I threw my stick there. I shaped it, I carved it. And now God, you are gonna bind it together. So we're gonna do something a little different today. We don't typically do this. But if you need a miracle in this place, I'm just simply ask you this. If you'll go ahead and stand with me. If you need a miracle in this place, I'm going to ask you to stand with me all in this place. Hey, we're a church family. I'm going to pray and then we're going to engage into a time of, of worship. And I'm going to pray specifically for those who need a miracle. I don't look at all of you across this room. If you need a miracle in this place, know this. God still does miracles. God still shows up. You do your best. It will come in a way that you don't expect, that you don't see. But you have a God that cares about all your problems. He loves you. He cares for you. He stands with you. God, we turn to you right now. You see those standing. You see those who are in desperate need of a miracle. Lord, we are praying encouragement in their life. Lord, we pray that you prepare them right now. Whatever you've called them to do, God, we pray that they are taking those steps. Lord, work on their hearts right now. Work on their minds. God, we're praying right now. If it's financial restitution, if it's financial peace, God, you provide. God, if it's marital health, if it's a marital relationship, 
relationship. God, we pray right now that your hand is upon that marriage. God, we pray for the relationships, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who are are going through some, some ailments of any kind, whatever disease, whatever that might be. God, we pray that you can deliver. God, that you can resolve our issue. God, we pray over these individuals standing up who are desperately seeking a miracle. God, you do what you do. Help us to prepare our hearts and our lives. And in your great name, we all say, amen. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.